Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This episode contains stories that include racism and homophobia. This is Queer Roots and Roots. Stories of where we come from and how we move in the world today. We are a group of people living in London. We're gay or queer and we're mostly men. And some non-binary people who are raised as men. We're all either migrants to the UK and are racialized as being from an ethnic minority. Ill. That's just a crappier way of saying global majority. We all have different experiences and perspectives on the world. Some of us are racialized as black or brown. Some as white. Many of us have experienced racism and xenophobia. Some, some of, of us, us are, are gay, gay and, and some, some queer. queer. Some of us moved to the UK by ourselves. And some are from an ancestral line that includes migrants. We, we all, every single one of us, knows what it's like to be seen as other. That is what brings us together. We're part of a community project run by The Love Tank. A not-for-profit community interest company that promotes health and well-being of underserved communities through education, capacity building and research. We wanted to make this podcast to tell our stories of crossing borders. Borders of nation-states, of gender and sexuality. As a collective. We don't have a boss or a Beyonce, so... Every episode of Queer Roots and Roots has a different host and a different set of voices from our group. Our promise to you is that our podcast is gorgeous, fierce, super gay and revolutionary. I'm Jose. My pronouns are he, him. I'm hosting this episode, and if I had to sum up the theme in one word, it's belonging. I want to hear stories, stories that often get lost, stories not always listened to. So that's what this podcast is about. We're sharing our stories and hearing each other. I still don't always find it easy to belong in the UK, in London. For years, I had a post-it note stuck to a wall in my flat saying, London is home, accept it. Whenever someone visited me, they asked about it. And it was interesting. Some people relate, some people couldn't. For my episode of Queer Roots and Roots, I've picked some people to share their stories with me so I can hear how they manage to belong, if they actually feel like they do. I'm hoping that these stories will make me feel closer to home. Now, I want to introduce you to Sebastian. I'm just trying to think of what would help my thought process in terms of chronology. <laughs> okay, I think I've got something. Then you can steer me if I'm sort of going in the right direction. I'm Sebastian. Uh, my pronouns are he, him. I am 29 as of right now. 
like me. Sebastian is from Colombia. But this is slightly awkward. When I first met him, it was hard to believe he was Colombian. He sounded so British, his accent, wow. We kind of look similar, but he has this very British accent, which made me very, very puzzled. And I have seen every episode of the 1990s game show Gladiators three times. So I want to hear from Sebastian, because I want to know what his experience of London has been like. I guess I assumed or thought he's found things easier because of the way he speaks. I came to London on a student visa in 2015. I remember being hit by the fast pace of the city. Cali, where I'm from in Colombia, is a smaller, a slower, a, a much more relaxed city. In London, everyone's busy all the time. I struggle with the wild capitalist nature of the city. I thought, how am I ever going to fit in? So let's hear out Sebastian, his story and his experience fitting in. Where are you from? A question I've heard so many times in my life. And to think of it, where am I from? Where do you think I'm from when you hear the sound of my voice? Am I a private school white South London boy? Or am I an asylum seeker from Colombia that came here almost 30 years ago? It's something that's really shaped my experience through life, but perhaps somewhat unknowingly. And it's a story that, whilst specific isn't exactly unique. There are so many of us who have come to this country as children and over time have tried to understand who they are and where they fit in. So I arrived in this country at 18 months old, young, innocent, cherubic child with my parents who were looking to escape from their situation in Colombia at the time and worked incredibly hard to provide what little they were able to, but it meant that I never wanted for anything. Sort of going through school and, and university, I remember that I was identified as being different. I was the Colombian boy, I was the brown boy, I was the femme boy, even though I didn't know what that meant at the time, trying to understand what it meant to be very clearly a Colombian queer person in a world where I didn't really fit in anywhere. There were so many communities that sort of carried part of my identity, but they never really intersected in a way that I felt comfortable fitting in. I was too queer for the straight people, I was too brown for the white people, but I wasn't Latino enough for the Colombians. And given that I come from a culture where, as a man, you're told not to express, you're told that queerness is wrong, you're given a very specific sort of road to life that you have to follow, it was incredibly confusing. And it really affected how I then interacted with people and with culture 
sounds like fitting in hasn't been that straightforward for Sebastian. Too much of this and not enough of that. That sounds tough. I guess we've done a different assimilation process. It's like a different labor of belonging. Different but not easy either way. Different time, different length, different scenarios, and of course different accents. And I still have no clue which gladiators he's talking about. For me, it's been about showing that I'm more than my thick accent and my brown face. Showing that I had as much as others to offer. We sometimes have to work twice as hard for the same effect. I had to work really hard as a student. I had to be the best to have the best chance of finding a job that would allow me to stay in the UK. I worked really hard to show that I could write great reports and do great presentations when applying to jobs. That my accent was just that, my accent, and I couldn't change it. So hard work was how I tried to get validation. Because of my legal status, for a long time I was here temporarily. A visa for a year or two, so I never bought things like a TV, and I struggled getting London to feel like home. Now, for the first time since I've been here, I feel more settled, and I want to continue rooting here, to continue the assimilation process. I'll do whatever assimilation process I need to do. I want to be here. I belong here, and I want the right to vote. And it's only now that, again, I'm almost 30, that I'm starting to understand where I fit in and where I belong. And finally, dipping my toes into spaces that I didn't even know existed. Meeting the queer Colombians that I thought were almost a fantasy, rather than the reality that I was. And even now, I'll talk to Colombians that I meet, queer Colombians that I meet, and I still feel like my story is so different. But I'm accepted with open arms and I'm able to express myself, and there is a, a feeling of validity that I've never experienced before. And I've spent my life trying to really have a concrete sense of validity when the world tells you that you're almost invalid. It's interesting and somewhat disappointing that I tend to only really date white men my friends of color will always say that I'm dating colonizers, which, you know, let's be honest, it's true. But there is a sense of privilege that comes from a white man that despite being a queer white man, there's a privilege that you have that is almost intangible to you, but is very significant. Recently, I've had a series of sort of relationships where I'm constantly told that people are looking for someone with vibrancy and a lust for life. And I appreciate that people have their preferences, but that comes from such a place of privilege where you've been able to genuinely express yourself and understand where you fit in the world. Yes, queerness for whoever you are, regardless of your race, is difficult. But by being a white man where the world has a very clear space for you, it's really obvious that you know what you want and you know who you are and you know how to exist. For me, that triggered a lot of feelings of, well, I've spent so long trying to understand who I am, trying to find that validity, that I find it difficult to express myself and to connect with others in a way that 
is showing that authenticity because I've spent my entire life adapting and changing to the various different communities, groups, and cultures around me that said that I wasn't enough for them. So for someone to say to me that you should be X, Y, Z, because this is the person that I want, or this is how you should be to be truly happy, feels really insulting when I've spent so long trying to understand those fundamentals for myself. But I'm reaching a point now in adulthood where I've begun to accept who I am and appreciate the fact that I'm different and unique and that I don't fit into the ideas that white culture, Colombian culture, or even queer culture has for who a person should be, what the experience should be. I spent so long reserved and inside myself and inhibiting the person that I am and all the things that I'm feeling. So now that there is an acceptance of that, now that I'm entering a new decade of life, that I can just kind of say, well, this is me, this is who I am, and this should no longer be something that I repress for any of the spheres that I wanted to accept me or thought that I didn't fit into and sort of making my own path and not to say that's going to be linear because nothing ever is. For my 30th, I'm oh, going to have a massive piss up probably. <laughs> I'm going to book out an entire space. I'm going to invite my chosen family, the people who've seen me, supported me and loved me and we're just going to get drunk and dance and have a wonderful time together. And hopefully I get a piñata and fill it with adult things. can relate to some of Sebastian's experiences, and it makes me angry. Being told what outlook to have, when people he dated, I think, have told him that he should have more vibrancy and last for life. Fuck that. You don't get to tell me what outlook to have. I've experienced that with partners, same as, as Sebastian. They say, you just need to see the glass half full, and fuck that. Some people can't say that because they've not dealt with some of the shit that we've had to. I think acknowledging these different experiences and recognizing some of my own privilege is how I became interested in rights and justice and how I started volunteering for LGBTQ and HIV charities. So listening to Sebastian's story, I felt, hmm, it's not just me. I get angry when I'm older because of what I think or feel. But I don't really care or feel older when I'm asked where I'm from. I know some people do. If I don't really care when people ask me where I'm from, does that mean I feel like I belong? Do I feel like I belong or do I not mind not belonging? I want to hear from two other members of our group now. <laughs> what? Um, right, okay. Why do you get the question? Now I have to answer the hard question. I'll help you. I'll, I'll, I'll throw in a few. Rad and Sakit. Because they've also been asked, where are you from? So I invited them to have a conversation about this, actually about much more.
I'm Rad, he, they, I'm 27, and um, I think Kylie Minogue hates me. <laughs> I'm Sakib. I'm 33, I used they, them pronouns. And I have been knitting since I was 13. Hi, Sakib. Hello. We're making this podcast as a group, right? Um, and it's like a whole series on our experiences. And I think we probably need to figure out what we're going to include in it. And I feel like I feel like we should probably start with talking about what even like brings us all together in here. Like, why is it us? Like, why? What kind of a group of people are we that that we're doing this together as a whole? What do you think? I think we're people who kept showing up for events. That's what happened. <laughs> so then we end up being like dragged along to be part of a project. I, I think, I mean, at least, you know, when I was looking at the events, it kind of said like uh, people from a migrant slash ethnic minority, migrant background or ethnic minority, queer men or queer people. Um, like, what, what do you think it means for you to, I mean, would you, how do you, respond to that question do you feel like you associate with either one of them do you feel like you are from a queer migrant background oh, i don't know if you can have a queer background yeah i so. know i just realized i said it and it doesn't make much sense that's okay not that one yeah but then the other one a mm. migrant background i don't think so oh i feel like maybe sometimes we do this thing where we have like three words and we try to shove entire like ancestry lines into mm. several words so it kind of becomes useless so like I don't know if my background is one of migrants. Like my parents are, and my grandparents are, just not mine. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I think I do identify, I mean, I, I do identify as coming from a migrant background because I, I did literally migrate from Poland here all by myself. Um, so the, the migration process is one that, I mean, I know firsthand. Um, and I think on a daily basis, I am quite reminded, con reminded constantly that I am not from here. Um, cause I mean, I was thinking about it this week. I was kind of thinking like, what, what does it mean to be from somewhere else? And like, where, what, what does it even mean somewhere else? Like, I mean, cause borders, I mean, they're made up things first and foremost, um, but I think it kind of all boils down to, to what I've just said is essentially like being constantly reminded that you are not from here. And it, it can be like a variety of reasons. I mean, it could be just not being born here or it could be something as silly as not getting local cultural references, which I tend to struggle with still up to this day, um, which, is, which is quite funny when somebody's like, oh, you're cleaning it from here because you haven't seen this one particular kids tv show from the 90s and it's like well we had our own <laughs> what other ways do you get reminded um well i don't have a british passport so a big one a pretty big one yes whenever I, I travel into this country i get that dreaded question of what are you doing here 
what's the purpose of your visit? And it almost gets a bit tiring having to explain to somebody at the airport like multiple times a year that, you know, I, I pay national insurance, yeah, I pay taxes. I do more than most of this country's politicians to, um, well, I said it, um, to, you know, so I feel like I kind of, you know, I work here, I live here, my whole life isn't here. Um, but I, you know, I still constantly keep getting reminded that, um, that essentially I'm just allowed to be here. I think that's what it is. But you've, you did mention that your your grandparents and your, your parents, that I feel like that they would kind of um, probably think of themselves as being from a migrant background. So where, where would you think, like, where would you draw the line? I also don't know if my parents would. I, I mean, I think I'm going to like, I will have to double check with my mom. I'm pretty sure they don't, the language of like identifying as anything or having a something background um, is like not a generational thing that they do. Um, I think they're vehemently British and they, so because they were actually migrants, they, I guess, felt the need to have some kind of ownership of where they're going to be. And so connecting to a nationality felt quite important for them. Um and I guess twice because my grandparents did partition and then my mom and dad grew up in Pakistan, which had only existed for a handful of years, I guess, at that point. And then they came here. So nationality feels quite important to them. Um, yeah, the last conversation I had with my dad about it was like an intense one. Um, not a bad intense, just intense. How come? I think I posed a question around being Pakistani and acknowledging that, like, Pakistan's only existed for a few years. I say few, but, like, you know, within the grand scheme of the universe. They, um... Um, would he identify as Indian or would he be happy to be called Indian or would he use the word Punjabi instead? Um, and, like, I was trying to encourage him to look at things or like language around self-determinism so that he could kind of relinquish this idea of being British. Um, yeah, that was it. So I questioned like the idea of borders or a nation state. And if you don't like racism, dad, then maybe you don't like nation states. And then if you don't like nation states, dad, maybe you're not Pakistani because somebody made it up um, and kind of like tried to do like a, if this, then this, question mark. Um, yeah, but then I think I hurt his feelings. Sorry, Dad. Um, that's, that's really interesting because I think when I first moved here, I think I was so desperately trying to take on this Britishness um, by, you know, kind of taking in as many customs as possible and assimilating as much as possible to kind of prove my worth to others and to prove the point that, you know, I'm worthy of being here, that I can be here. Look at me. You know, I drink tea with milk now in it. Do you think that, I mean, I feel like I'm talking about your, your parents and your grandparents now, but, and, and less about you, but do you feel like there is a part of it that, that that's that kind of part of it of so almost aggressively calling yourself British just comes out of that desire to assimilate and not be othered? They were very committed to it. Mm -hmm. Passionate, maybe, is what I should say, instead of hostile. 
yeah, I think most people assimilate for safety and being able to progress in a society that isn't for them. That's what assimilation is all about. Um, usually it makes sense to do that so you can stay safe. And some people can assimilate and fully do it and some people will never assimilate because their skin still isn't white. So I think there's there's a decent amount of, well, there is a lot of differences in our experience. I think like, I'm, as I said, I'm obviously a, a queer migrant. I've, I've, I'm not from the UK. Um, whereas you, you obviously grew up here, right? But I think we're both very gay. Yeah, we are. Yeah, how gay are you? Super gay. <laughs> very gay. Yeah, I like to describe myself as a flaming homosexual. I don't ever do that. <laughs> no. Do you identify as queer? Sorry? Yeah, do you identify as queer? You... Uh, yeah, I'm really, I feel like I'm going to, every time people ask me questions like this, I'm going to do the like resistant intellectual okay. thing where I'm like, I don't know if I identify as anything. I think it's like a useless word. I'm super gay. Okay. You can ask me if I'm super gay and I'll say yes. A similarity. Yeah. Maybe we have a similar interest in who we want to have sex with. Yeah. Or do we? I don't know. What's your type? <laughs> That's a good question. Mm. Oh, what is my type? Oh, sincere with a cute uh, face. <laughs> Cute. Yeah, I was not. I was about to go somewhere way dirtier. <laughs> like where? Like I like a man that's like think big and tall, like the kind of man that like is. <laughs> yeah, go on. Like, looks like, I like a rugby bod. Like kind of like it's soft enough that will give you a good cuddle, but will throw you on the bed. Yeah. You know. Sure. Mm. Is that me? <laughs> <laughs> is that me? <laughs> Were they actually flirting in the studio? Okay, wait, wait. I need to refocus. I could have been lost thinking of guys that can cuddle you and also throw you around in bed. <laughs> wait, wait. Belonging, belonging, belonging. I'm trying to find out how people manage to feel like they belong. Yeah, so because you identify as a queer migrant, also you are a queer migrant. Because what I want to know is, like, do people comment on your accent? Do people comment on your name when they meet you? Do people make you feel like you are not supposed to be in GAY? Yeah, constantly. And um, I think it always starts with a very innocent, like, imagine meeting somebody and, like, we're two minutes into having a conversation for the first time in our lives. And there's always a, oh, where are you from? Where's the accent from? Yeah. Which I... I think I've just kind of given up on arguing with it, but I find quite intrusive because you immediately want to judge what kind of a person I am through the kind of through the the notion of I'm from somewhere else. Mm. So you you can't just take me as I am as a person right here right now. You want to judge me through a particular point or a particular period in my life. Um, and it just, that I think is that one part that just immediately puts me on a map somewhere and others me, like I'm not from here, I'm from somewhere else, then you will immediately judge me through that. I think there was like a defensiveness when people first started asking me where I was from. Mm -hmm. One, because I sound Scottish, but I don't look Scottish, but I don't sound Scottish enough to be like... Scotland, actually? Is this a... No, because you've joked before that, like, and when I was talking about haggis and you were like, oh, I'm from Scotland, actually, and I couldn't work out whether you just said it. Oh, um, I think I was trolling you, but I am actually yeah, Scottish. Okay, cool. I don't care about haggis, though. Okay, yeah, great. Because <laughs> I'm not actually Scottish, right? Like, I was born there, I have an accent, but, like, I don't have, like, we don't have tartan, so. Yeah, okay. 
I don't eat haggis because I've never halal. Does everybody have tartanus kola? Is that like a thing? Uh, yeah, it used to be. I guess if you have like heritage there, oh. there's a family tartan. Yeah, so that's one of the ways in which I'm not Scottish. Oh. So we just wear black kilts, which is actually super chic, but like a black kilt to events instead. I know. Um, there's a story around when I convinced a man in the joiners that my middle name is Poppadom and that the <laughs> that the translation of Poppadom into like being like a thing on a menu is like actually to do with like how culture travels across the world and that actually it means this and he fully believed me. I then proceeded to convince him that MIA was my cousin and she, um, like her success is what inspired me to move to London. Um, he then said I had really beautiful but homicidal eyes which I think is a wild compliment because he's not wrong like I, I will kill that. you no I, you've got a very intense stat I will give you that you're welcome <laughs> have you ever been questioned about where you're from I got my first job at like 16 um, in a Clark's uh, fitting kids shoes um, and I had never lived anywhere else and uh, I would get a constant from every customer um, when did you get back from traveling? Um, because apparently I sounded American. You have never. Like I, was just, I, I was 16. And the only job I'd had so far was a paper round. I don't know how I'd be traveling in America. Um, and that can that persisted. It's still forever. People still think I'm American. Do I sound American? Asshole. Even when I do gay? I don't think so. No, I don't know. I mean, I'm just a really bad person to ask because I'm awful at accents. Okay. I always think everybody's Irish. So there's there's that version of like, you don't sound like you're from here, even though my accent was just from Edinburgh. Because this is what I don't understand. It's like, why, what does it matter? I'm not sure how much like time I want to give the question of where are you from, I think. But the motivation behind asking is maybe interesting. And the impact it has on people is maybe also even more interesting. So I spend my life working with uh, communities of white people trying to make better, more efficient anti-racism communities, people who are capable of doing that work better and more sustainably. Um, and the motivation that I get a sense of mostly is that people ask where you're from because they want to be welcoming. So they want to get some information from you that is about who you are or how they read you in a room so that they can then talk about it and make you feel more comfortable or they can connect with you or maybe they can share a story with you so that they can feel connected to you. So there is, assuming everyone's best interests and intentions, like they're not being horrible or malicious, um, but what they're not taking into account is uh, how many times that day that you were told that. So maybe some of the examples you gave earlier of like when you're existing day to day, you feel that you're reminded that you're not supposed to be here or you're not from here or that you could be removed at any time. I think that's exactly what is. I think you just like hit the nail on the head is that while somebody asking the question, they may not have a malicious intent, but it's just that this question is a bit weighty. Yep. So... Perhaps just pick a different one. So you kind of, I think, touched upon like just the idea of communities and like maybe um, working with with other people. I mean, what what your experience has been like in in general, like in terms of like finding your own community, or I feel like that's something that definitely has a 
like being othered has a a huge impact on is like finding your own group of people. I mean, because I feel like that's what I understand by community is like some some a group of people to belong to. What would you What would you say? I think so. I don't know if community is sustainable when it exists in relation to like an opposing force. Because if you build community in relation to an opposing force, once the opposing force is gone, the community dissipates. But actually, I think the most meaningful community I found, or I've found several times, is um, while you share experiences, you also share a common goal. I feel like I get you because it's like, just because you say like, you're both, you know, queer and you both like maybe have a similar, some sort of like an ethnic background that doesn't mean that immediately there should be a connection. But that's like, that's not the reason why you have a connection. That just helps with the connection you already have. Right, because there's lots of Asian people that I do not have community with and that's the point that we're finding different communities. Yeah, and like I completely get you because like, I mean, I can only speak on my behalf, but I've met a lot of Polish, like queer people that I was like, oh my God, another Polish gay man. And then I'm like, oh my God, we have nothing in common. <laughs> Great. <laughs> because just just those two things, they're like so broad. They're so specific, but so broad at the same time. But there's not a consensus of what community is just because we have similar skin tones or facial features or have sex with the same maybe not the same people but you know what I mean um, but actually maybe it's a practice of community like who shows up when your heart is hurting and holds you while you cry or like if you're broke who's gonna make you dinner that day um, or who comes to collect you after like a train somewhere and is really grateful to see you that's like the practice of doing community and makes you feel like you belong and that you are cared for and loved yeah, I, I think I agree. Um, let me think where I'm going to go with this now. Um, Nowhere. <laughs> because we have to wrap. Yeah, I think I think I agree. I feel like that's probably why we're doing this podcast, like to explore all these different things and how they intertwine and connect. And um, I'm actually kind of buzzing because I feel like this conversation has just like set us up for so many potential things we could explore, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, how should we say bye? We should have a little sign off. Um, but yeah, so bye for now. Bye. As Radha and Sakib discuss, when people want to hear where you're from, what they're doing is they're putting a question mark in your belonging here. Sakib's right. People want to place you, understand you. I'm sure Rad has faced negative assumptions, assumptions about being Polish, stealing jobs, or whatever. Being Colombian, there's usually a mix. Either we're cool or sexy or hardworking, or we're narcos and drug dealers. Even the positive assumptions are a way of putting us in boxes. I guess I'm really interested in the way Saki and Rad connect belonging and community. They actually talked about feeling at home and practicing community. I loved hearing them talk about who's going to buy you dinner when you're broke or who's going to get you from the train station. That sense of doing community. I think these seven years in London 
I've done a mix of building community by association with bits of my identity, but also by engaging with some of the practices that they're talking about. I've definitely got more in tune with my gayness, going to the VFI Flair Film Festival, working with an LGBTQ charity, and then an HIV charity that helped me reconcile my own status, and now working in mental health. I belong to all these things, these communities, the people living with HIV, the LGBTQ family, and people with mental health challenges. I'm part of a movement. I'm part of a movement of people talking openly about these things and taking care of each other in the way that Saki is talking about. It's a practice, a practice of honesty and community that has helped me feel like I belong. I feel more secure in London now. I recently rediscovered my old post-it note, the one that says London is home. I'm letting go of a lot of my shit, with support from friends and loved ones. And yeah, I just recently got a new immigration status, indefinite leave to remain. That means I can stay here permanently. Next year I can apply for citizenship and my passport, and I'm gonna vote in the next election. And I'm going to vote really, really hard. It has taken a lot of time to feel like home, to feel like I belong. Finally, now with my status, not depending on a job to get a visa, work doesn't have to validate me anymore. I can start planning a long-term life in this country with my communities. Maybe I'll try to buy a home. Someone asked me what post-it note I'll stick to my wall if I bought a home. (laughs) Enjoy what you've worked fucking hard for. I'm Jose Carlos Mejia. Thank you for listening to my episode of Queer Roots and Roots. Stories of where we come from and how we move in the world today. If you are an LGBTQ refugee or asylum seeker and need help navigating the immigration system, I want to recommend Rainbow Migration. They might be able to assist with support and advice in your immigration journey. Chao. Nos escuchamos en una próxima oportunidad. Queer Roots and Roots is produced for The Love Tank by Art Nail. Produced and edited and engineered by Tash Walker and Adam Smith. The assistant producers are Saqib Afsel, Jose Carlos Mejia, Amar Deep Singh Dillon, Chase Edwards, Stanley Iyanu, and Raj Konichna. Music by Edoy. Creative design and artwork by Richard Kahoji. Recorded at Pirate Studios in Dulcet and Hackneywick, East London. Executive producers Mark Thompson and Dale Taylor Gentles. That's me. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.